Hello and hi, welcome to another Slice of Sci-Fi. I'm Summer Brooks and we are here to talk about The Artifice Girl, a new indie sci-fi feature from XYZ Films, uh, available in theaters on demand and digital on April 27th. Uh, and we are going to be talking today to most of the cast. Actors David Gerard, Cinda Nichols, and Tatum Matthews. So uh, we'll get right on in to these interviews. Hi, welcome back to more Slices Sci-Fi. I'm Summer Brooks, and with me now to talk more about The Artifice Girl, the indie sci-fi, the award-winning indie sci-fi feature film, that will be in theaters, available on demand and digital on April 27th. Uh, with me now are actors David Gerard, who plays Amos, and Cinda Nichols, who plays Dina. They are agents for an international agency, and their task is to hunt down online child predators. And in the course of their search to get rid of these very, very bad people, they come across an artificial intelligence and the troubled man who has designed her to help catch these predators. And the movie is fascinating and compelling and emotional. And David, Cinda, you guys knocked it out of the park as far as I'm concerned. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. So how did you approach these agents and the the task, the job they have tasked themselves to do to hunt down online predators of children? Well, uh, given that I've never been a cop, <laughs> it was a little bit out of my um, imagination zone, but thank God for YouTube. So Franklin had us watch some YouTube videos of actual interrogations. And it was pretty fascinating and unsettling and incredibly real and not as dramatic as you would think. So that was one of our jumping, our starting points. And then from there, when we just layered on the intensity of this particular situation and Dean, the stakes for Dina were very high. I think we were able to kind of come up with something that was um, just a little bit more heightened than what we had seen in the YouTube videos. What do you think, David? Um, for me, well, my dad was a cop, for real. Um, so I was used to interrogation. Um, the challenge for me was, I guess, playing good cop in, the, in, in those scenes. Um, but yeah, I just approached it as, and because the film itself isn't very heavy on describing exactly what goes on. Um, it was just, uh, for me, basically, it was just uh, making sure that I was the good cop or whatever, and making sure things didn't get out of control during, during the interrogation. Oh, Fra Franklin was a wonderful director and he really um, encouraged Dina to, you know, just to go to the, go to the mat, go to the floor. And it was very helpful 
we had all worked together a lot. So I did feel pretty uncomfortable, comfortably um, getting in Gareth's face. And I think we, I, I think we got what we needed to get from that. Dina is a spider and she uses it for a very specific reason. And I think having the specificity of why she was doing it is, is what helps make it work. Yeah. Yeah. The, I don't want to go into spoilers, but the experience that Dina had mirrors in some way the experience that Gareth had that led him to create this AI. And then David's portrayal of Amos. Amos has this, what seems to be an emotional connection to the AI who's named Cherry. And she's what, 12 year old girl uh, AI uh, presence only digitally. Um, and that that connection drives some of the most intense arguments about sentience and AI rights that I've seen put on film lately. And that, you know, the entirety of chapter two, act two, was just the questions and the non-answer answers that were being thrown about just floored me. I I was just I was fascinated by that. How did you guys approach uh, the level of technical specificity <laughs> that was being bandied about during during that section? Yeah, when I read the script <laughs> and I saw that discourse, you know, that involved Marxism and this and that, and I just thought, whoa, this is so more than I've ever like had had the pleasure or privilege of delving into as an actor. So um, to answer your question, there was a lot of rehearsals and discussions with Franklin and a lot of analyzing of the script and really just getting, Dean is a very cerebral person and she's, inc I mean, she's doing something that nobody else has done in the world. And she has this great team. So they're all masterminds. So to put yourself in the in the brain set of, a, of mastermind people, you have to like really know every word very well. And it just has to become part of you. So like when you open your mouth and talk, oh yeah, I always talk this way. You know, I always talk about Marxist theory. <laughs> um, so I I hope I hope we pulled it off. Yeah, the uh, the script is way smarter than I am. And so trying to, uh, I think the biggest challenge for me was to uh, try to sound like I knew, like Amos needed to sound like he knew uh, undeniably, unequivocally what he was saying. And I remember sometimes thinking like, thank God I don't ever talk like this, but I'm <laughs> glad that there are people in the world that do. So, yeah. and I know Franklin uh, wanted the film to be as relatable um, to people as possible. And I think even though it's jargon heavy, I think Cindy and I, I think, me personally, I think we pulled it off to where people can relate to us, even though we're masterminds who are, who are speaking this, this heavy tech jargon. 
Right. And, you know, I have a lot of admiration for people who are masterminds and who aren't it when they, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of jargon coming out because I think they have a lot to offer and, and that's how they're wired. And so that's cool. It's just, you have to, if when you're not like that and you're playing a character like that, it, it, it really helps when you have a personal admiration for it. Yeah. So it was exciting. It was fun. It was like, oh, great. I get to be something I'm not. <laughs> exactly. Now, uh, the AI, Cherry, is actually played by uh, a young actress, Tatum Matthews. But you two are never on screen in scene with her together in person. How did, uh, or did rather, did Franklin have any uh, discussions, ideas about how the two agents were going to interact with this AI avatar on a TV screen in a room in a basement of a of a international uh, child welfare and rights organization because the the different ways you both characters interacted with her one from the approach that she's a tool the other one from a, the approach that she's a living growing intelligence that could have feelings and should have rights that that whole dichotomy there just captivated me as a you know a fan of storyteller and sci-fi go ahead david oh um well tatum's great uh she is a it's hard to find and i don't like calling her a child actress even though she is a child actress um because she's so talented and her maturity will just just blow you away. Um, Franklin did, uh, he approached us with how, you know, we would interact um, with her, but I think it was, I don't know, there was a synergy between all three of us to where it really wasn't that difficult. And I don't wanna give, I'm being very vague right now because <laughs> I don't wanna give away how we actually uh, shot those scenes. Um, I'll just tell you that um, it was it was like she was in the room with us, so it really wasn't as as challenging um, as it may have appeared in the film. Yeah, I definitely felt a, a, a strong connection with with Tatum and with Cherry, you know, as a person as and as an actor, and shooting those scenes with her. For me, I mean, she was on the screen and even though technically she was somewhere else, I really felt like her energy was in the room with us. And I think that's partly because of Franklin's a great director and Tatum is a really amazing actor. And um, there was a lot to a lot to play with. You know, I mean, it, it's kind of weird to say, oh, a screen is giving you stuff, but the screen was giving us stuff. <laughs> right. Uh, what was for each of you the most uh, challenging aspect of these roles? Because, you know, there's one very, you know, physically intense moment, but there's a lot of emotional intensity that shifts during the whole entire, you know, act one and act two. Now you go for a Okay. Um, 
Well, it's very challenging um, to pull off aging and also to pull off um, a character that is facing their in well, I don't want to say too much. It's it's difficult to pull off aging in in the use of a cane, um, but challenging in a in a good way, you know. I mean, I like that as an actor. So I think that was um, on my mind. And I also really just enjoyed the challenge of, of Dina's, her transitions where she goes from thinking one thing to becoming different and thinking another way. There's lots of, a, a lot of little subtle things going on in the script and in, in the storyline and with the characters. And, and I think for me as an actor, that was one of the most exciting and biggest challenges is to um, have all that going on, but not work to bring attention to it. Uh, for me, um, it was, I mean, Amos is a tech wizard. Um, he catches predators. And for me, I couldn't imagine um, what that job must be like in real life. Um, so for me, it was being comfortable uh, with, or have Amos be comfortable with his job, you know, with what he, you know, what he did. And because, you know, he was second generation uh, law enforcement, um, he had to be really, really comfortable you know, and I believe that's a hard job. I think it has to wait on you. And so I wanted to make sure that, you know, Amos had that weight on him at all time. David isn't that way. Um, he's pretty light. So just trying to uh, be heavy. Um, I think for me, that was, that was one of the, the challenging parts. Well, I am uh, recommending that people go check this movie out. It is The Artifice Girl, uh, available April 27th uh, in theaters and various digital platforms. Uh, David, Cinda, thank you so much for your time today. No, thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's been, it's been an honor to be here. Appreciate everything you're doing to get the word out. And uh, as a, as a sci-fi geek, shout out. Uh, Cinda, your work on the English dub of Bubblegum Crisis and Bubblegum Crash will forever be a favorite in my heart. I didn't realize it until I was reading it right here. I loved those anime way back when. And uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and we'll be back with more Slice of Sci-Fi right after this. Hey, welcome back to more Slice of Sci-Fi. My guest now is the other star of the movie The Artifice Girl, Tatum Matthews, who plays the very compelling, very intriguing Cherry, the artificial intelligence that causes all of the drama we find in this film. Hi, Tatum. Hi, thank you for having me. So tell me, how did how did you come to play an artificial intelligence that seems to be more sensitive than normal people. <laughs> I actually knew the director, Franklin Rich, and um, I've known him since I was nine. We actually met through a theater show. 
um, where we worked together on it. And he said, hey, I have this project and I think you'd be a great fit for the role of Cherry. And I was like, I read the script and I was like, wow, this is like really different than anything I've ever done. But I thought it was super, super cool um, that I was going to be able to do a role like this. Um, it was really just kind of surreal for me. And I was really grateful. Did uh, Franklin give you any direction on how to approach Cherry at first faking that she has feelings and then maybe not so much later? We had a lot of Zoom rehearsals together, actually, where we would just kind of talk about the character and her intentions and um, all the lines and the big words not a script because there are a lot of them that she says. Um, and so there were a lot of different things that went into it, but we ended up just kind of focusing on the intention in the lines because that's really important as an actor. And I kind of wanted to approach her as still a real girl, even though she's not, because I think that humans bring a certain quality to um, characters that AIs want to be able to, but they, she's built to um, trap and fool these people. So she needs to be very realistic and um, lifelike, even though she's a little bit not at times. I absolutely loved the direct, uh, just just nonchalant way that you just rattled your way through all of the technical descriptions of how you were analyzing data, collecting it, and reanalyzing. I'm like, oh wow, cool. Yeah. That 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 was impressive in in the way that you were unemotional, but. You look like you were hiding emotions later, especially when Amos kept asking you Terry questions. Yes, definitely. So what part for you was uh, the most fun or the most challenging of playing this role? I think the third act was probably the most challenging for me because it does get a little bit more intense, but it was also probably... Um, the, it was a really fun act for me because getting to work alongside Lance Henriksen was really surreal for me. He is such a legend in sci-fi and just in general, he's worked on some amazing projects. So I was really, really excited about that one. But uh, the first and second act were really cool too, getting to play that um, development mode side of Cherry and just kind of that straight face. But, you know, she's got maybe a little bit of something under the surface. Um, so I kind of knew all that in my head, but um, hopefully the audience doesn't and then they kind of find it out later. Was there uh, any particular approach you took to how Cherry interacted uh, differently with with Gareth and Amos and, and Dina? Um, I definitely think that um, she has a, no really relationship to Dina and Amos at the first in the first act, but she has a relationship with Gareth for sure. And they have conversations, I think, pretty often with each other. But then she learns a lot about Dean and Amos. And obviously she kind of knows because um, of previous and past research about uh, Amos specifically. But she like learns a lot about all of them, I think. And by the second act kind of has a little bit of relationship with them. And that's a really important thing for her. And I think kind of um, is a little bit of a breakthrough. And then you see in the third act, maybe um, she took a little bit of what they said to heart. Yeah, the third act, the performance there for me was 
uh, intriguing because you have this AI who, mm, tiny spoiler, comes to life a little bit and is still figuring out how to interact with the world physically, even though she's only been limited to this one small section of, you know, a dark, dark side of humanity where her job is to catch online child predators and nothing else, it seems like. And just having that physical presence and wanting to learn more about the world, that was that was a transition that I thought showed a lot about the possible nature of AI. And that was that was really well done. How did you approach that? Thank you. Um, I think that I wanted to approach that act as I really was in touch with Cherry's character in that act. And we worked a lot, um, me and the director, Franklin Rich, we worked a lot on Zoom through um, just wanting to find those moments where like, you know, you see her past kind of uh, a little bit of trauma come up and how she has grown up as this AI and computer program and that's all she's really ever known. And so then that kind of just rises to the surface and that's where she gets all those emotions from. And it's crazy that an AI is able to experience all those emotions and is, um, and it's, it's so um, just, it's so present on the surface. So I think that that was a big thing for me, just focusing on um, how she would feel and putting myself in her shoes. Did you have to do any any practice for like walking around in that harness? Not really. I just kind of got on set and he was like, okay, this is it. And I was like, okay. And we just kind of, it may have taken a take or two, but we just kind of started practicing with it a little bit. And then we just, we shot with it. And it wasn't like a, a huge deal for me. It kind of felt pretty normal. Do you see yourself wanting to explore more uh, science fiction roles in uh, in future projects? Definitely. I would love that. I love the genre. And um, this being one of my first science fiction roles was really cool. And this character was, I think, a, a great one to have in this genre. But I would definitely love to do more. And I hope that more will come out from it. I think there's a good chance of that because, like I said, your performance was... Uh, very impressive. I just, I just hope you don't get pigeonholed as uh, cyborgs or robots or anything. <laughs> yes. So, are you working on anything else uh, at the moment? I'm um, auditioning right now, but it is a little bit slow with the industry. So, I'm pretty busy with this and um, the festivals that we've been going to and these interviews, um, which are super fun. And I'm just kind of living in the now with this project. It's it's really um, cool and surreal how far it's come. Awesome. Well, I wish you the the best of luck in uh, any future roles, especially if you uh, continue forward in uh, science fiction. That was, like I said, this performance was was fun for me to watch. Thank you so much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks for having me. And we'll be back with more Slice of Sci-Fi right after this. Escape Pod, the free science fiction podcast 
Brought to you by Escape Artists. I rippled a welcoming cadence of light beneath my skin. And then, seeing the newcomer was human, made my best approximation of a smile. Welcome to Helixer Transgalactic Lounge. Each week, one story told well. She should have never come back to this God's forsaken junk heap of a space station. But she couldn't help but miss it when she was away for too long. From the most astonishing and visionary storytellers of the genre. But because time is a trick of the mind, it can be hacked. And we have gotten good at it. We had to. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on the web at escapepod.org. And on Patreon under EA Podcasts. Hi, I'm Aaron Ashmore from Sci-Fi's Killjoys, and you're listening to Slice of Sci-Fi. Once again, that's the Artifice Girl, which is available now, as of April 27th, in theaters on demand and digital from XYZ Films. If you like quiet, smart uh, science fiction that has some uh, bits of compelling drama. I think you'd like this one. There are a lot of, I guess, drawbacks to having that closed room uh, scenario, but if you're on a tight budget, it works. And the interactions between all the main characters are very, very real. You see their emotions, you see their reactions, you see what they're trying to keep hidden. And it, it all comes to a head when you ask the question, this tool that we're using was programmed, it developed on its own, it used constant collection of data, analysis of that data to improve how it responds to humans that it interacts with, learning how to improve its process to get its targets to reveal something about themselves that eventually leads to their capture and prosecution. So, at what point does that entity have its own thoughts? Does it have its own feelings? Does it know that it's allowed to express those feelings, that it's allowed to ask questions about how it's being used? Does it know that it has the right to say how it wants to be used or does it have that right questions are going to be asked and now that we have uh, stuff like chat gpt out there and we have ai's writing articles instead of having publications hire journalists or writers or pundits what are we going to see happen in the next five years, 10 years, 20 years? 
I think this movie asks a lot of the questions that people are already thinking about in those uh, think tanks concerned with AI and sentience and what do we do when, uh, because none of us, truly, truly, none of us want Skynet to happen, <laughs> at least not like that. Anyway, how about you? What do you perceive to be the future of AI and how humans will have to eventually interact with our robot AI overlords? Will we become pets? Will we make good pets? I love that song. I really do. Let me know. Feel free to call in. The number is 602-635-6976 or send me an email, summer at sliceofsci-fi.com. You can also come to the website, sliceofsci-fi.com and leave a message or comment in the discussion section for this episode. You can also ask your questions over on Twitter at Slice of Sci-Fi. I will get into discussions over there about science fiction, horror, action movies, thrillers, music, some sports, baseball and soccer mostly. And who knows? You never know what kind of random question I can respond to. You can listen to Slice of Sci-Fi on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Player FM, and iHeartRadio Podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple or Stitcher or Podchaser, please feel free to leave us a review or a rating and let folks know how you are enjoying the show and maybe others should check it out for themselves. I'd like to thank everyone who is currently supporting Slice of Sci-Fi and all of the podcasts and websites in the Slice of Sci-Fi universe. Your pledges through Patreon, your donations through PayPal really do help keep things online, active here. The the websites, the, the media hosting, all of your support, all of your pledges, donations go to help pay those bills. So thank you for your support, especially those of you who have been longtime supporters. My heartfelt thanks and gratitude go out to all of you. And if you're interested in adding your support, the place to go is patreon.com slash slice of sci-fi. Pick a tier, any tier, and you will become eligible for perks. Uh, all patrons over there get a chance every month. I pick a winner out of the hat and that person gets to choose from uh, the books, DVDs, Blu-rays, 4Ks that uh, I have available here. I get a lot of review materials and I just can't keep all of it. (laughs) I, I really can't. Don't have enough space and that benefits you guys. You guys get First dibs at some really cool stuff. Supporters through PayPal can also become eligible. I I give them a chance. I give you guys a chance. I ask four times out of five. The answer is, no, we're good. We just like supporting what you do. Either way, the the links to use to support are patreon.com slash slice of sci-fi 
or paypal.me slash sci-fi summer if you're mostly interested in donating every now and then instead of committing to a monthly pledge. Another way you can support is by shopping <laughs> over at sliceofsci-fi.net. That is a curated shop. Uh, all, all of it is affiliate links, so anything you buy through there will go to help support Slice of Sci-Fi and all the other little projects around here. The DVDs and media are through Amazon. The books are mostly through Bookshop. So your support gets spread out a little bit, including the, the few pennies that go back to helping here. I am currently working on expanding what is at sliceofsci-fi.net. I've been a little lax in adding a lot of the uh, classic reissues on Blu-ray and DVD that have been coming out the past year. For instance, did you know that there is a 4K remastered release of the classic fantasy film Dragon Slayer? Yeah, it came out about a month ago. I'm a little bit behind in my review, but look for that soon. Either way, all of your support, no matter how you provide it, is truly, truly welcome. And that'll do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back with more Slice with Sci-Fi next time. Take care. Mm-hmm.